get me. From Studio A in Arcata, behind the Redwood Curtain, it's time for... Suckatash. Suckatash Clips, the original comedy soundcast featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcasts. And here's your host from up the coast, practically unknown outside of comedy soundcasting, comedy soundcast soundcaster, Tyson Saner. Saluton, estes me, Tyson Saner. Welcome to Suckatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast. The podcast that dares to call itself a soundcast and features clips of comedy soundcasts from all around the internet because, well, that's generally where soundcasts are stored and ultimately found and clipped by yours truly. It's late October, but not yet Halloween as I write this. Even so, if you celebrate Halloween, I'd like to wish you a happy one early because the next episode of Suckatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast will post afterwards. Truth is, I'll probably wish you a happy after-Halloween pre-Thanksgiving when the time comes because reasons. Coming up later in the program, we've got clips from H3 Podcast, How to Be a Person, Freedom, Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast, Hollywood Handbook, and Good One, a podcast about jokes. We've also got a double dose of Raging Moderate Will Durst Versa Durst segment and a reading from our too-new-to-have-developed-even-a-hint-of-patina sponsor, TrumpPoetry.com. Are you ready? If not, remember that you can hit that pause button if needed. It's one of the beautiful things about a soundcast, the choice of when to listen. And choice is important, is it not? Just as it's my choice to leave that pause there. All right, let's go. Opening the program tonight, our first burst of durst from raging moderate Will Durst. This one is from October 12th, 2018. It's called The Midterm Intervention, in which our intrepid correspondent gets a little strident, but for a good cause. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words on the upcoming midterms, the most important election of our lifetime. Yeah, we hear that every even-numbered November by every politician in every competitive race, the difference being, this time they're right. This isn't just an election, it's an intervention. This is a referendum on the Oval Office Oompa Loompa, and both sides are counting on energizing their base to get the vote out. So get out there and vote. Go out and vote like you've never voted before. Vote like it's going out of style. Vote as if the lives of your children are at stake. Vote like they're trying to take it away from us, because they are. Vote as if the whole world were watching, because it is. Don't just talk about voting. Read about voting. Write about voting. Shout and flail your arms about voting. Grab random folks on the street by their lapels and and shake them until they have seizures about voting. We have to show up in such numbers that anyone even thinking of tampering with the election will be intimidated like a poodle in a rhinoceros paddock. Pay no attention to the billionaire PACs, the hacking Russians, or our own Justice Department, or the National Enquirer's Packer. Democracy is a participatory sport. It's not meant to be watched from the sidelines. We have to exercise our electoral muscle before it atrophies. Use it or lose it, people. Get pumped up. If you don't vote, you can't bitch. And we do plenty of that, don't we? Besides, if we don't vote, how will we ever know how close the polls actually were? Vote early. Vote often. Adopt a dead voter. Where? In Chicago. Vote! 
for Suckatash, the comedy soundcast. Soundcast, I'm Will Durst. And thank you, Will Durst. We'll be hearing one more of those before the evening is done. Now to the clips. First up tonight, H3 Podcast by Ethan Klein. Its description on iTunes reads, The official podcast of comedians Ethan and Ela Klein of H3H3 Productions. A little word about H3H3 Productions from Wikipedia. H3H3 Productions, often shorted to H3H3 or simply H3, is a comedy YouTube channel produced by husband and wife duo Ethan and Ela Klein. Their content mostly consists of reaction videos and sketch comedy in which they satirize internet culture. In addition to their main channel, they run a secondary vlog channel by the name of Ethan and Hila, and a third called H3 Podcast. The H3 Podcast channel features live streams that were originally live on their Twitch.tv channel. The podcast covers a variety of topics, some controversial. There's also H3 Podcast Highlights YouTube channel, which features short clips of the podcast. The podcast primarily features Ethan and Hila interviewing celebrities and YouTubers. Podcast also has a top of the week segment where Ethan and Ela comment on current events evolving the internet and the world. Our clip is from the podcast version of episode 84 from September 12, 2018. The description for this episode reads On this episode of the H3 podcast, we're joined in the studio by Bill Burr. Together, we discuss bad dog owners, being a dental assistant, parenting, Sherry's Berries, podcasting, all things comedy, and a whole lot more. Bill Burr is a stand-up comedian and actor who will be performing at Madison Square Garden on November 7th, 2018. And in this clip, Ethan, Hila, and Bill discuss having children and the All Things Comedy Network, whose comedian-based podcast content has been frequently featured on Suckatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, including About Last Night with Adam Ray and Brad Williams, Birdcast from comedian Bert Kreischer, and Skeptic Tank with Ari Shafir, just to name a few. I have a question about your... You being a dad and having a kid, we have been trying to have a kid. Mm-hmm. And the longer it takes, we also kind of second question the whole thing. Like, should Italy? we have a oh. kid? It's awesome. It's one of the few things that li- truly lives up to the hype. Mm-hmm. Really? All these years of being lied to about these summertime movies. <laughs> the kid thing is, it's awesome. And, uh, you know, what do I know? I'm only a year and a half in, so... <clears throat> My year and a half experience has been incredible, and the only advice I would give you is don't listen to 90% of other parents mm. because for some reason they take a joy out of trying to ruin the experience <laughs> and saying, like, oh, you wait. This is your first one? Oh, everything's going to change. No more drinking. Oh, my God. Get sleep now. They just hit you with all this dread. And I was, I was just yeah. looking at him like, you sound like a terrible father. <laughs> like you don't sound like you're enjoying it. And that really, no, no, no. I wanted them to start thinking, well, why didn't you say all that positive stuff, you cunt? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just how. Uh... People just like to complain, I guess. And they like knowing shit. Yeah. And exactly. Trying to, trying to, like. Uh... Pass on the knowledge. Yeah. It's just like. But in an annoying way. Yeah. No. Like. Bill uh... Burr, the optimist. I'm telling you. Yeah. No, I got I, a lot uh... of sweetness in you. Hm. Yeah. No. I, I, yeah, I'm, I am not what people think. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about all things comedy. You've got what? What is all things comedy? Is it a production uh, company? Is it a podcasting network? I mean, this is a company. Yeah, it's, that, it's everything. It's yeah, everything. It's everything. It's first. It started off. We, uh, you know, years ago, we were watching the whole podcast thing exploding, mm-hmm. and then watching what always happens: like the artists create a scene, mm-hmm. and then the businessman comes in, and is like, "Okay, here's the deal. I'm going to r- wrangle all this up. I'm going to own it, but you're going to get all this exposure." 
<laughs> you're going to have to tap dance for the rest of your night, and I'm going to have a fucking yacht in five years, right? <laughs> so we're like, well, why, what's stopping us? At this point, the technology had come up about where you could actually start your own thing. And there was podcast networks out there where they, they were doing this thing where they owned a percentage Ooh. of it. Yeah. Wow. Like owned your podcast. And For we were what? telling everybody, going, dude, don't, you don't have yeah. to give that away. But like um, – You see that kind of stuff on YouTube a lot too. Yeah. Right. But, but a, a lot of people from my generation in a, in a weird like a prison kind of thing, you were institutionalized. Where you just mm-hmm. thought, I can't own anything. I need mm-hmm. to go to bigger thing. It's like, no, dude, you have your own TV right here, your mm-hmm. own channel. Um, so we tried to do more of a co-op where everybody owns the thing, um, owns their podcast and, uh, oh, yeah, so that's basically, and we all hype each other's projects. That's and very Paul cool. Verzi's, um, one of the guys on our network, network from the, uh, the Verzi Effect podcast, when he had his first comedy CD come out, we all tweeted about it at the mm. same time and he put out a great album and that came together, and he went number one on iTunes in both, wow. both the United States and in Canada mm. as an unknown at that point. Mm. And now we just produced a uh, stand-up special for him uh, for Comedy Central, and Comedy Central has bought uh, three more hours from us. So we're going to wow. be produced. Wow. So now, and now we kind of get to pick the people that we That's like, really these, cool. these guys, men and women, that we think are hilarious. So... Um, and, uh, so it's then, you know, like... I'm currently, uh, writing a movie and, you know, we, really? we partnered with yeah, Soapbox yeah. Films and, you know, you know, I'm writing with somebody who isn't with All Things Comedy, but if he likes it, we're going to drive it through there and just kind of build this thing up. And, and the whole thing was, you know, uh, to do this, trying to do it the right way was, was quite a task, but we just, we just don't, we wanted to have comedians to have a, a friggin' ray of light that they could mm. go to where everybody wasn't just trying, you know, to fuck you over, like on, yeah. like on specials and stuff, like the, 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 the shit that goes down. Really? That, yeah, the stuff that goes down. Is, you mean like p- slices of the pie going in all different directions? Yeah, like people having side deals with networks that suck or are going out of business. You know, that's something that we ran into. Huh. And it's just like, hey, every special you, you bring us to, you get you get 60 grand. So then all of a sudden, this guy oh. for 60 grand is now going to tell you, hey, go to this shithead oh. network instead of, instead of like, like, like yeah, uh, Netflix or Crazy. something where, where it's going to be seen. Yeah, and it's just like... Um, like yeah, that's only the tip of the iceberg, and then like you know expenses and all this right. and all this stuff, and like sky high expenses with no accountability. Yes, all of that type. Well, the thing the thing was, you know, back in the day, it was like, you know, I swear to God, there were some people that literally had like inside people, like TMZ has at the airports to say, <laughs> you know, what celebrities are going through. Like they would literally have inside people at the network, and they would figure out what your budget was because you get in business with a production company, and you'd be like, "What can you shoot this for?" And it's like, "Well, how much money you got?" It's like, "Well, I'm mm-hmm. going to fucking tell yeah, you that." Exactly. And they would somehow, I swear to God, like if you had a million dollars, they'd be like, oh, "We did the budget. It's going to be like nine hundred ninety-nine thousand. Uh, mm-hmm. And then if you had like nine bucks, it'd be like, "It's going to be eight dollars and ninety-nine cents." Like That's they, great. they always like vacuumed up everything but that final fucking eight. Right. Right. And then you know that they went out and they shot the thing for like 70, yeah. like not mm-hmm. even, probably whatever, whatever yeah. the number was. Yeah. And they just skimmed it. Just took it. Mm-hmm. No, that's skimming, dude. They took a giant that's fucking <laughs> shovel out of there. <laughs> All right. If you want to watch H3 Podcast on YouTube, you can go to youtube.com forward slash the letter H, the numeral three, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, H3 Podcast. You can reach Ethan Klein on Twitter at H3H3 Productions, Hila Klein at H-I-L-A-K-L-E-I-N-H-3 on Twitter. 
You can reach the H3 podcast at T-H-E-H-3-P-O-D-C-A-S-T on Twitter and Bill Burr at Bill Burr, B-I-L-L-B-U-R-R, and All Things Comedy Network at All Things Comedy, A-L-L-T-H-I-N-G-S-C-O-M-E-D-Y. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify, and you can go to their home site at www.h3h3productions.com. Second up tonight, How to Be a Person, by Mike Drucker and Jess Dweck. Its description reads, Comedy writers Mike Drucker, from The Tonight Show, The Onion and Marvel, and Jess Dweck, from The Tonight Show and Late Night, invite fellow comedians, writers, and other interesting people to teach them how to be normal human beings. This clip is from episode 148 from May 10th, 2018. It's called How to Reheat Pizza and Get Airline Miles. Its description reads, Comedian Samantha Ruddy comes on the show to teach us the secret to perfectly reheated pizza. In parentheses, it says, it's not more cheese. And how to collect airline miles in a possibly financially questionable way. Should you do it? We can't legally say. And then parentheses, it says, probably not. This clip features talk of the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal, being multilingual, and, as advertised, how to reheat pizza. Either of you guys ever been to Just for Laughs in Montreal? No. Nope. It's... It's very it's it's like a fun comedy festival, but it's very weird because it is they do have a lot of French comedy. Mm-hmm. Really, so, I didn't know that they do. And so the you know the English comedy, which is like it features people from all over the world who speak English, is like what you'd expect, like stand up improv sketch. And the French comedy is like what you would see in a nightmare. Like there's like literally mimes. There's like people <gasps> in big costumes doing like this performance art thing. And you're like, this is like like if you made mimes? fun of French comedy. It's what you would see at that festival. That sounds they, genuinely How amazing. do they translate it? Like, they don't. What, oh, they, they I was just wondering what the French version of Just for Laughs was, I mean. Oh, it's whatever the French phrase is. I don't speak French. I just, I'm just, yeah, okay. It's just curious how, how they do no it. No idea. Okay. No idea. I took German. Big mistake. Do you speak French? No, I wish. I took Spanish for like five years. But you I made the correct decision. I don't yeah. speak it. It's extremely useful. I mean, I guess I can, like, re- like when I'm on the subway and I see, like, Spanish ads, I can read them for the most part. Yeah, that's but useful. I, I, like, can't speak it at all. The only time in the last couple years knowing French, I've, it's at all mattered, and it's actually it even doesn't matter. I was on the subway, there's, you know, those signs in all the different languages, and I recognized Haitian Creole just barely. Nice. So it was, like, phonetically spelled out. Okay, yeah. French with an accent. Right. If that makes any sense? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We're useless human beings. Like, if there was an apocalypse, none of us would make it. I can't make a fire, but I can conjugate, you know, etre and avoir verbs. Right. So. You can't make a fire, but you could sass it on Twitter. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Your Twitter's great. I hate you. Uh, oh, thank you. See? Thank See? You. Told you. Yeah, you have a good Twitter. Thank you. I I wish I could say, like, oh, you know, it's, it's nothing, but I put a lot of effort into it. Yeah, you can tell <laughs> yeah. because, like, oh. it'll be, like, whatever joke everyone's making jokes about that day, but you always have, like a unique take which oh, is so you. hard thank you twitter is genuinely my only source of like raising my self-esteem right now so <laughs> no over the this is the last like couple of years like if i didn't have twitter i would just feel terrible about myself so well, thank you let me give you a retweet in you. real life <laughs> <laughs> what'd you say being friends with you you still feel terrible a lot <laughs> no i know <laughs> um okay so you are here to teach us a couple things First of all, you said you were good at reheating pizza. Yes. Yeah. I'm so curious about this. <laughs> okay, so there's a way to do it. 
Okay. okay. You can get it to the point where it's almost as good as when you got it. What? All right. Yeah. So what you got to do is you get the pizza and you put it on a microwave safe plate. And then you put it in the microwave for like 15, 20 seconds, depending on the power of your microwave, like 15, 20 seconds, no longer than 30 seconds. Okay. And then you get a skillet and you don't put any butter or anything on it. Just like with a skillet, the pizza will be fine. And you put the pizza on it Mm -hmm. and you put it on low and you just go low and slow for a little bit. And um, I mean, you can kind of just poke at the pizza, see what the temp is like. Temperature, okay. sorry. I didn't mean to be so conversational. Uh, see what the temperature's <laughs> like. My temp, what do you mean? Temporary? <laughs> temp. Uh, yeah, so you're going to see what the temperature's like. Great. And then after about like 15, 20, it's just like pizza that you got from a slice place. Oh, wow. Because it crisps up the crust. So that, mm-hmm. like, because the thing with the microwave is the cheese is good, but the crust is disgusting. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what And with oh, the skillet, yeah, sometimes okay. the cheese doesn't get cooked enough, but the crust is great. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you do one and then the other, it's like perfect. Interesting. I thought all you were going to say was sprinkle some extra cheese on it, put it in the microwave. No, no, no. no. But that makes There's no sense. <laughs> system. Wow. Can you also, this- let's say I don't have a skillet. Okay. Yeah, you could. I just, just have like pan. a big pan. Yeah, okay. that's totally fine. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I said skillet because I wanted to make myself sound more knowledgeable. What is a skillet? Just like a flat? I don't thing? know. You're not allowed. I'm going to be honest. That. I don't know what it's a skillet is. It sounds great. It sounded right. <laughs> yeah. Right. I do know what I'm talking about. Sure. I will. I will say for the most part. Also, no idea the difference between a skillet and a frying pan. <laughs> there is none. Is it the Imagine same? Imagine a skillet. Chefs like a are bad people and they're lying. Thing. Um. No. I guess. I don't think so. Maybe. <laughs> no, that's we not right. We could all Google that's... it, but this is more fun to try to detective it out. Skillet. <laughs> that's like the 90s in here. Skillet. What's a skillet? What's a skillet? It's the French would say skillet. Skillet. No, no. no it's just, like... I'm just pronouncing <laughs> The skillet. Spanish would say skillet. I don't know what the Germans would say. I don't, I don't know the I words for anything anymore. I might have spelled skillet wrong. It'd There's two L's, skillet. right? Double L, right? Yeah. Yeah. In German, it'd still be like skillet. Let's just never know what a skillet is. You can reach out to Mike Drucker at M-I-K-E-D-R-U-C-K-E-R. You can reach out to Jess Dweck at T-H-E-D-W-E-C-K. Samantha Ruddy at Samly Matters. That's S-A-M-L-Y-M-A-T-T-E-R-S. And the show does not appear to have a dedicated Twitter account, but their main site is listed on iTunes is howtobeaperson.libson.com forward slash podcast. Aside from iTunes, you can find them on Stitcher, and I found them on Laughable. Appropriately, in the third position tonight, it's Freedom by Earwolf. Its description reads, Scott Ackerman, Lauren Lapkus, and Paul F. Tompkins abandon their regular formats to focus on the basics of being funny with each other. Can't wait to hear more episodes? For more info and archive episodes, go to Earwolf.com. Currently, there are about four episodes. There may be more by the time this posts. This clip is from episode number one from October 4th, 2018, titled This Was a Mistake, whose description reads, On the first episode of Freedom, hosts Scott Ackerman, Paul F. Tompkins, and Lauren Lapkus discuss what inspired their new podcast. In Lauren's segment, ha ha ha, that's really good, that's two people improvise a boring conversation while the third laughs and makes up an excuse to leave. Then the three hosts try to decide what the show should be called. This clip features some discussion about the philosophy of optimistic nihilism. I like how pointless things are in my mind. I mean, I kind of that's kind of my whole approach to life. I feel that way about <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way about the ocean. Like the the idea of the ocean 
making you feel small or space making you feel small, I actually find that comforting. Yeah. Really? That it's that I'm just like a tiny speck in this. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, sort yeah. of like a dog that – It kind of takes they, the pressure off. A dog you know likes I mean? its crate. It likes to be – Dog loves its crate. <laughs> you should – I'm going to send you this video and everyone can go Google it. It's called uh, Optimistic Nihilism and it's on YouTube and it's this whole little thing that kind of like expresses that idea – in a way that I really like. In a way All that's right. – and how is it comforting though to know that nothing you do will ever matter? Because that's – it's awesome. it's comforting. It's comforting to know that that's just the deal. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's true and for it's everyone. the same that's for the everyone. That's the that yes. we've made with the universe. That we all just happen to be here, and it's mm-hmm. you know we're all going through the same stuff. We're all we're all having these feelings, and it's right. it's it's very. I feel like it connects me more to the world than it makes me feel um, like a minuscule part. of So it. then, what is the point of everything? Yeah. Fucked if I know, dude. <laughs> is it, well, is it the effect that you have on other people? Is it the – I mean that's – yeah. I, I think so to some extent. I mean I think that's why I like doing podcasts and stuff even though it can feel like it's pointless sometimes because mm-hmm. you're like, well, why are we doing one? But the idea that you could make someone's day better is nice because there's no point to anything. So if you're going to be sad and feel bad, maybe you could laugh a little bit and then it's better. And it's not just that's entertainers it. who do that. So it's not just yeah. entertainers whose yeah. lives are worthwhile. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, don't but, mean, I mean but why do like we, anyone, why do anyone I can do that for other other people, and it's yeah. not, yes. not just when we're doing podcasts. No, yeah, I meant like, why do I choose this specific activity? Right, right, right. right. What, why just, is it meaningful? But of course, everyone's life is meaningful, and that's also the point. Right. All lives matter. I understand. <laughs> that's what I've been trying to say for <laughs> years, and I'm wearing shirts that say that. <laughs> That's so, why I don't understand what's happening in our world right now, though, because it seems like everyone's just doing horrible things for no reason. Yeah. We're all going to die. Why do you have to take away everyone's health care? Why do you have to make it so women can't have abortions? I don't understand. Well, some of some of it's money because money everyone, – everyone wants more money no, yeah, regardless. Yeah, dumb too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean I, I want it too, but I mean well, it's I because of the way everything is that I want it. I was thinking about Aaron Spelling the other day and forgive me if anyone who knows Aaron Spelling or their family is out there. But I was thinking about like all the money that he made, right? Mm-hmm. And supposedly he doesn't give it to Tori Spelling. Like Tori Spelling didn't get any of it, right? Ugh. Wow, I didn't so, know that. That's nasty. Or maybe she gets like a tiny, tiny sliver or whatever. She got $1,000. <laughs> How terrible would that be? So mean. All right, it's time to read the will. Tori, 1000 smackers in cash. <laughs> <laughs> now get out of here. <laughs> Throws it at her. Uh, no, but I mean, what's the point of making all that money? Like more money than he could ever spend, right? Yeah. And I bet he loved the work, and that was maybe more important, sure. you know. But um, but why why make all the money if you're not just going to give it to your loved ones? Like what what I know I don't understand. Like I, I, I was thinking about that with with Jay Leno recently. You know, we were talking about how he he doesn't spend his doesn't touch the Tonight Show. The Tonight Wait, he show doesn't. Money. He lives. Off, he said this many times that he lives off of his stand up comedy money. Good, he good, never good, touches good. What, the, what 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 did what. He just puts what? it in the bank. Be in person. When was when was last time Fertation? he did stand up? He, he, he does it. All he the did time. it all the time. He's a, he would do so it. He'd make he a lot never of money stopped. doing it. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, he would, he would leave. Stand-up. Okay, I he didn't would leave know that. The Even during show. the Tonight Show, yes, he would okay. leave the Tonight Show on Friday afternoon, do a whole weekend of shows, come back to the Tonight Show. Damn, Monday he worked morning. hard. He works really hard, but but my why dress that way? Rolling up the sleeves. Yeah, wear full denim. Hard Canadian worker. tuxedo. He's a yes. hard worker. 
But my but my thing is, is he yeah, he's made a lot of money. He's never touching that money. But is he touching it now? What is he doing with it? He doesn't have kids like yeah. what? Yeah, that seems like, weird to not I, enjoy it or to give it not to give it to people. I have to say I didn't uh, I, I used to I, those Star Wars prequels. I was like mad at George Lucas, like a typical nerd, like you ruined it, you ruined it. And the day that he sold Star Wars to Disney for a billion. Right. And he mm-hmm. gave it all away to charity. Yeah. So like, awesome. Yeah. I was like, there you go. That's yeah. what you do. That's what you do with your money. If you're That's not going to so give it to cool. your kid, and and he's, he has a lot of kids, yeah. he's adopted a, a lot, lot of, kids. of kids. How many kids does he have? Fifteen. I love adoption. I don't know how many kids. Does he have? <laughs> I don't know. Which, they're all Star Wars characters too. <laughs> it's like the he cantina the in actors there. They're, and they're made just them be. dolls. <laughs> <laughs> no, he has. He's like a do- He's adopted a lot of kids from other countries and stuff cool. like that. But but that's I don't know. So I'm, yeah, no, I think that's true. I feel that way. Like I'm not rich like that, but like I like to feel like I. Can, I mean, you're almost rich like that. Look, I almost have billions of dollars. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm in a place with my life where I can afford the things I like to do, and that feels good. But I like to like give my family gifts, and my dream is to be able to like pay for my family's homes and things. Like that would mm-hmm. be like my. I would. That's really one of the you know driving what? forces. I'll pay for your family. <laughs> <laughs> but I. I feel like it would feel so good to As do that. My Christmas gift for you this year. <laughs> okay, great. If you want to, would you take that? Yeah, you're giving it away. But you would never buy me it. a house. I don't own a house. You can reach Scott Ackerman on Twitter at s c o t t a u k e r m a n. Lauren Lapkus at l a u r e n l a p k u s. Paul F. Tompkins at capital P capital F capital T o m k i n s. And you can reach the show. At Freedom USA, which is T H R E E D O M U S A. The show can be heard on Airwolf, Stitcher, on Art19, and on Howl.fm. And the show's home site appears to be www.earwolf.com forward slash show forward slash freedom. This episode of Suckatash is sponsored in part by TrumpPoetry.com, a chronological ode to a fake muse. Enjoy a rhyming spin on the news of the day every day, as well as over 500 archived daily verses thoroughly covering the White House, America, and the world with a sticky caramel coating that's impossible to remove. That's TrumpPoetry.com. Everything you need to know in rhyming couplets. Trump Yes, that spot can only mean one thing. It is time for the reading of TrumpPoetry.com for this episode. From October 20th, 2018, number 824. Of good news, we don't have a lot. Vote suppression, democracy rot, Saudi murder excuses, those proud boy abuses, but in Canada, there's now legal pot. And from October 22nd, 2018, number 822. A senator named of Ted Cruz has allegiances that can confuse. Trump insulted him bad, dissed his wife and his dad, but is still an endorsement to use. Right? Right. You can find the archive at T-R-U-M-P-O-E-T-R-Y dot C-O-M. Ghosts and goblins, Frodo and Spider-Man, and lots and lots of slutty nurses all wandering the streets can only mean one thing. No, not Fleet Week. It's Halloween. This special time every year, Henderson's restocks the shelves and interwebs with our deathly Halloween. More than just a pair of pants and yet not quite a full-blown costume, Henderson's Deathly Hallowear is meant to be worn under your disguise to make sure your Halloween stays safe, sane, and filled with treats. 
The wizards at Henderson's Tailoring Factory start with a thin yet comfy layer of 100% cotton lining. Stitched to that is a second layer. This one made from 70 mil thick military grade Kevlar. Finally, your deathly hallowair is coated with waterproof matte black acrylic, strong enough to keep you safe in the darkest night, whether it's hailing hail or bullets. Henderson's deathly hallowair is also light enough to assure that you can keep tricking and treating until the cows come home. Moms and dads, Henderson's wants to remind you that not even our deathly hallowair can guarantee complete protection from the low lives and scumbags that are waiting to prey on your precious children. It can't detect razor blades and apples or roofies and rollos. So when you steal your kids' candy while they sleep, be extra careful and take a good look at what you're biting into before it bites into you. Anderson's Deathly Hallowair was originally designed for Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, and Michael Myers. Not the unstoppable killing machine from the Halloween movie franchise, but that unstoppable mugging machine from Wayne's World. That's Henderson's. Fine trousers and costumery since 1549. And now back to Succotash. All right, fourth up, here's one that I've clipped for Succotash in the past. It's Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast by Gilbert Gottfried. But for those who've never heard it before, its description reads, Comedian and actor Gilbert Gottfried, a man Stephen King once called a national treasure, talks with the show business legends, icons, and behind-the-scenes talents who shaped his childhood and influenced his comedy. Along with co-host and fellow pop culture fanatic Frank Santopadre, Gilbert is joined by comics, actors, musicians, talk show hosts, writers, and other eyewitnesses to Hollywood history, including Bruce Dern, Chevy Chase, Weird Al Yankovic, Adam West, Steve Buscemi, Mickey Dolenz, Jim Gaffigan, Judd Apatow, and dozens more. For a funny, frenetic, fly-on-the-wall look at showbiz then and now, but mostly then, Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast was named Best Podcast of 2015 by The Village of Voice and one of the iTunes Best of 2014. It has been featured in Rolling Stone, Wired, and the Los Angeles Times. This clip is from episode 220 from August 13th, 2018, in which, as the description reads, Gilbert and Frank welcome an old friend, legendary comedy writer Bruce Valanche who looks back at the golden age of TV variety shows and specials, including Donnie and Marie, The Brady Bunch Hour, The Star Wars Holiday Special, and The Paul Lind Halloween Special, all co-written by Bruce himself. Also, Margaret Hamilton makes her move. Robert Reed channels Carmen Miranda. Jack Benny does the match bit. And Gilbert takes over Hollywood Squares. Plus, Jack Palance. Bob Hope's filing cabinet. Wayne Newton at SeaWorld. Bruce hangs out with Tallulah Bankhead and the Oscar joke that never made the air. This clip features the telling of an encounter with Donny Osmond and includes a brief bit about actor and war hero Charles Durning. There's a famous Valanche story that uh, Donny Osmond, when he was about five or something, <laughs> said to you, Oh, you look like a big Muppet. It was the first day on the, sh- on the show. Yes. He came into my office to meet me. And he looked at me, and I had a huge beard and a lot of hair. I was very uh, Unabomber in my look. <laughs> and I was large, larger than I am now. And uh, behind the desk, there wasn't a desk that fit. They had to go down to KTLA and get the news anchor desk and bring it up from my desk. So I was a, huge, I was a formidable presence, and, and, but fluffy, <laughs> and, you know, and kind of squishy and cute. And he came in and looked at me, and he said, you look just like a Muppet. And I said, it's the funniest thing. Jim Henson had his hand up my ass not 10 minutes ago. <laughs> I, think I, I think I said fist up my, up my ass. 
And there was this pause, this long pause. And he started giggling and also doing what turned out to be the moonwalk, you know, backing out of the office uh-huh. while giggling. And I thought, okay, I'm done here. I always thought I was done there. You know, I thought I'd never survive. And, uh, and then he decided I was okay. You know, I was I was one of them. I wasn't one of them. I was one of them. I was like an ally because he was always looking for uh, people who would enable him to get out from under the family because it was the family was completely suffocating. I mean, these kids had only known the family. And the, but when I say the family, I mean everything, religion, family, business, Show business all was one great big ball of wax that was the Osmond uh, Empire, and th- those kids were a part of it, and there was no escaping. They lived together, and they worked together, and they did everything as a, a unit. And so anybody who could, like, b- spring him from that for an hour to go get his face sanded yeah, uh, was, was, was the, the ally. Mm-hmm. And, and Marie was like that, too, except they were – she had to fight her way in because they didn't want her to be – she was supposed to be a good Mormon housewife. And they had like 14 kids, one of them a girl. And they didn't want her to, you know, to do it. They were promoting Jimmy. I remember who, Jimmy. Who was at the, sure. at the time. They said, sure. isn't he wonderful? Little say. Jimmy Osmond. They said, yeah, he, he looks like they let the air out of Wayne Newton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was then. Then I got, I mean, subsequently I got friendly. He became a, a TV producer. And I was in a TV movie that he no kidding. Yeah, I played uh, Santa's elf. It's called uh, It Nearly Wasn't Christmas. How nice you've Charles, both played elves. Charles Durning was Santa Claus, and I was the elf on steroids. I was all little people. All the other elves were little people. We shot the whole thing in, guess where? Utah! <laughs> <laughs> where Jimmy Osmond built a studio in Orem, Utah. And we all, the Jews flew up. <laughs> a plane load of Jews would fly up every week to do the show. What was Durning like, as long as you've mentioned? Durning was so, Somebody we love to talk he about on this show. He was hysterical, and he was uh, a great raconteur, and he, uh, and he was a wonderful actor and a very naturalistic and um, was not one of these actors who uh, – <laughs> Who spent a lot of time on process? He, if he did, it was privately. He got to the set and he was just kind of, uh, kind of ready to go. I mean, and and you would, we'd rehearse it, and then right before they would, we would do the take. He'd say, "Is that how you're going to do it in the in the take? The way you did it in the rehearsal?" <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't sure if you say you wanted to make sure, or he didn't like what I did in the rehearsal. But we, because at that point they said, "And action!" So we would play this. So this was just his you right, know, right. Was he busting balls? Oh, uh, no, no. No, he, he was, was serious. Great. There was a, a girl, a child actress in the thing. She was local, uh, which by local in Utah means they brought her in from Denver because they were cheaper than flying. Right. Her from, so, so, and she was, uh, she was good, but she was like a bratty kid. And, uh, and we were driving home uh, from the set uh, the first day that she worked, and he said, you know, I, I met her this morning, and I thought, what a cute little kid. And now I've worked with her all day, and fuck, it's Faye Dunaway. Wow. <laughs> so he, he uh, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, he, he absolutely brooked no trout. We love uh, character actors on the show. We love to talk about oh. people like him and Jack Warden and 
who Gilbert's worked with. You never worked with Durning, Gilbert. I know. I no. would have loved Oh, he was. He was. He had great. I mean, we, we also had war stories. He had literal war stories. Oh, I know. He had, yes. I know. But he fought in the war and he yeah. killed people. And yeah. he was. He carried this tremendous guilt around. That's what we heard. Because uh, he said, everybody who I killed was a kid. He said they were like teenage soldiers by the time I got over there and they were fighting the last stand. And he said it was heartbreaking because I would be close enough to actually shoot them. And I had to. It was him or me. And since the kid, it was always a kid, I knew he would shoot me. So I had to shoot him wow. first. And but he, you know, I'm doing a very abbreviated, of course, of course, version of it. But I mean, with Charles Durning telling you this, you know, I mean, it's Charles. He Durning. must have liked you because my understanding was that he did not like talking about that to anyone. Oh, uh, really? He must yeah. have. He must have taken you into and his confidence. I heard that's Charles that's nice. Durning was among the troops liberating the camps. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. he was. You can reach out to Gilbert Gottfried on Twitter at Real Gilbert. That's R E A L G I L B E R T. Frank Santa Padre at F R A N K S A N T O P A D R E. The show on Twitter at Real Gilbert A C P. That's R E A L G I L B E R T A C P. The Twitter account for Bruce Falanche appears to be at the Bruce Falanche, T H E B R U C E V I L A N C H, which has a link to his website, which is wegotbruce.com. That is W-E-G-O-T-B-R-U-C-E dot -E com. Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast can be found at Art19, SoundCloud, Airwolf, Stitcher, and Podbay. Or you can go to www.gilbertpodcast.com. Next up, Hollywood Handbook by Airwolf and Hayes Davenport, Sean Clements. Its description reads... Hollywood Handbook is an insider's guide to achieving your showbiz dreams from two A-list it boys who are living theirs. Hayes and Sean provide an exclusive VIP backstage pass into Tinseltown politics, answer questions from unsuccessful listeners, and bring in famous guests to discuss their craft and how they became what they are, famous. This clip is from the episode from July 17, 2018, titled Patton Oswalt, Our Close Friend in which, as the description reads, the famous Patton Oswalt, all caps, finally joins the conversation to discuss an upcoming event with the boys. This clip features a segment from that conversation that raises the question of whether or not certain animated rodents exist in a shared universe. Um, question for, uh, hmm, let me think of a good one. Uh, do you have one? Yeah, I'll ask one. Okay, great. Is Ratatouille friends with the great mouse detective? Uh, Ratatouille, you know what, that... <sighs> I don't know if there was a connection there. We were just basically focused on the rat was cooking. Uh -huh. um, and also, they I don't no mention if they're friends. They don't mention it. I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe I, maybe I should go to the IMD, the uh, IMD trivia the question. friends tab. Mm. It's, you don't even do the trivia one. If you hit friends next to the character name, are there friends tabs on? Yes, it shows oh, it shows oh, yeah. what other characters that character is friends with. Hang on, let's do that right. Wait a minute. Yes. Yeah, let's pull up IMDb. Hit the friends. Oh my tab. God, there is. A Friends tab. That's mm -hmm. I've never. Hang on. Okay, Remy. Let's see. Well, that's okay. Jake Giddis from Chinatown. I don't see how that's possible. Um, well, he has a heart of gold. Honestly, right. he seems very gruff on the outside. I guess, but that's a strange. He's trying to do something nice, um, and he hurt his nose. Richard Richard Gears character from Red Circle. That was a movie about a trial in China, wasn't it? 
That's sound a was stretch. red in the title. Sound mm-hmm. like seems like a from Chinese that era. Got to be a I Chinese guess. movie. Yeah, hang on. Main kid from Last Starfighter. That's okay. strange. How they were friends. They is he friends be. with anyone who is a rodent or is from France? I was I thinking, yeah, maybe Stuart Little or no. maybe even Gerard Depardieu. No, no none, none of that. No, there's no, there's no Templeton the Rat. There's no Ben or Willard. Hmm. That is weird. Hmm. He, you Willard know what? was friends with so many rats. Yeah, it's but a I gotta say, it's middle finger to Remy. You know, oh, there's oh. there's kind of two kinds of people who uh, make friends in Hollywood, right? And there's ones who Thank have you. real friends, right? And then as they ascend to the next rung, they reach down and bring their friends up. Mm-hmm. And then there's ones who, when they get to the ne- next rung, they're reaching up and grabbing the feet of yeah. and they a Richard Gear from Red Circle. They slam that door they behind. Close them. the hatch. Mm-hmm. This is actually now that I think about it, Remy basically hangs out with humans. So maybe there's a thing yeah. they don't explore. Uh, I don't think he likes other rats. Uh-huh. I think he may be one of those like self hating. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. Boy. What a complicated character you portray. Well, I didn't know he was that complicated. I thought I was just trying to make a nice plate of food. (laughs) Right. And now Mm -hmm. you just – well, thanks. But for who, right? Who was the nice food for? Exactly. Richard All the fancy – yeah. Oh, my gosh. Red Circle. Might have been Japanese. Thanks for – now that I think about it. Could have been. He might have been. Because if you notice, their favorite picture in Japan – is of that is of a red circle. Uh, There's a picture that they hang up everywhere. Yes, that's a picture, and that's a that must be an important picture because a lot of times it's not even on paper. Yes, it's on like cloth. Cloth. Yeah, so that mm-hmm. means like that's mm-hmm. an extra, and level. it's too high for anyone to because they reach. don't want anyone messing around with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they'll put it up like they'll they'll put they'll find a very long stick, mm-hmm. put that in the ground. But where does the picture go? Mm, way up high. Stick, way you sound high like you've the been there. No, no, you pointed it out. I just realized they do that a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah, hmm. they do that a lot. I, you know, uh, never been. I, no, never been. Mm. I know. I know so much about Japan, yeah. and yet I've never been there or really have any Japanese friends. But have I sushi? feel like have you had sushi? Pie? I've had some sushi. Mm-hmm. Every bite, every bite is the history of Japan, isn't it? Like you, by well, default. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think if you get more than. Uh, if you if you if you purchase more than fifteen dollars at a sushi restaurant, you are allowed to pontificate. Yeah, think, you become a you become a historian. Well, yes. every yes, yes, yes. Every fish tells the story of the country, and and it tells it inside your mouth. Yeah, and then it, yes, it tells it just to your mouth, but and then you have to tell it to other people. You mm-hmm. have to lecture other people about it. You can reach out to Hayes Davenport on Twitter at H-A-Y-E-S-D-A-V-E-N-P-O-R-T Sean Clements at S-E-A-N-C-L-E-M-E-N-T-S Patton Oswalt at P-A-T-T-O-N O-S-W-A-L-T And the show, Hollywood Handbook, can be reached on Twitter at Scoop underscore Troop That is S-C-O-O-P underscore T-R-O-O-P you can listen to them on Art19, iTunes, and Stitcher. And the show's home site appears to be www.earwolf.com forward slash show forward slash Hollywood hyphen handbook. And finally tonight, Good One, a podcast about jokes by HeadGum slash Vulture. His description reads, Good One, a podcast about jokes is a podcast about, well, jokes and the people who tell them. 
Each week, a comedian will play one of their jokes and then break it down with Vulture.com senior editor Jesse David Fox. This clip is from the episode from October 8th, 2018, titled Nick Kroll's Big Mouth Shame-Filled Dirty Talk. Its description reads, in the season four premiere of Good One, Nick Kroll discusses the difference between shame and guilt and how both concepts factor into writing a show like Big Mouth, which returned October 5th for its second season on Netflix. In this clip, comedian and creative Nick Kroll delves deep into the psyche of his childhood self and how it influences the aforementioned animated series Big Mouth. What I like about this scene is the relationship between the shame wizard and the hormone monster really, like, evolved because they're sort of like colleagues. They're not like nemesis. They're just sort of like talking. And, and you sort of realize they are they are colleagues. Like, you sort of – though the wizard was sort of designed to be a sort of nemesis to the uh, monster, they're more just sort of like different sides of things. Like, it's – because the shame monster reveals not to be all bad. Yeah. And the – in so much as the hormone monster last season wasn't necessarily all good. So how did sort of the – whatever dichotomy you describe as, how did that evolve? And, you know, and specifically beyond sort of shame as an interesting thing, like how did we – did you think about shame weaving into different parts of these people's lives? You know, I think after season one we had established that these kids have uh, hormone monsters. And – but it felt like – to just limit the idea that a kid has a hormone monster that's driving everything mm-hmm. or that adults uh, similarly, that we just have our id that drives us would do a disservice to like the complexities of like the emotional and scientific like construction of, a, of the human personage, mm-hmm. you know. So as I said, Andrew came in with this idea for this f- force of shame that became the shame wizard. And I think – the idea that yes, the 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 hormone monster is scared of the shame wizard early in the in the season, and then you see moments where they are kind of working together, that they are colleagues, and in the last episode of the season, we sort of go backstage, as we say, and you start to see the inner workings of the shame wizard and the mm-hmm. depression kitty, and that there are all of these different yeah. parts of um, kids and adults, um, and I think. Again, uh, you know, the idea that the hormone monster and the shame wizard are kind of uh, colleagues observing and affecting this kid, Andrew, um, felt to me like, you know, the way these things work. Sometimes they work in contrast to each other and sometimes they work in tandem. Um, As I said, like I was interested in seeing, you know, seeing, oh, how a shame could inform someone's uh, desires. And I think like – we had written and voiced much of this season before the Me Too movement took hold mm-hmm. last fall. And when I started to read and see all the stuff coming out from different uh, people involved who had been called out for their behavior, you know, I was like in the parlance of our show, I was like, well, there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of hormone monster stuff here. Um but also to me there's like a lot of shame wizard stuff the idea of like you know masturbating in front of a woman who doesn't want you to do it to me is like a very shameful act it's like a thing of i'm a piece of shit i'm doing this to you it's a status play but also i'm gross and i know it and it kind of turns me mm. on and i don't to me i'm like oh that's shame wizard is 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 very much a part of this thing as much as the hormone monster is as well. And I think 
we were interested in kind of you know trying to figure out where things are working together for good or bad. It, it's interesting how it manifests in this season of the show where it's just sort of like something something happens with Andrew and Lola, which isn't necessarily assault, but it's sort of like not good. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think it is interesting that a show. What I think this season especially, it becomes clear that like this is a sh- this is a show made by adults about how um middle school shapes later psychologies like it's very much from the perspective of like this is this is making lasting damage yes yes correct (laughs) because i was thinking about there's a i think you're there's this ted talk that that you've referenced by Brene brown who is a psychologist and the part that i found most interesting which is she says guilt is i did something bad and shame is i am bad yes which is you're talking about a psychology of like, oh, I am defining myself as bad. Yes. And is is that what sort of attracts you most about how this show, those about teens, could talk about you are a uh, person – how old are you now? No, I'm 40. If you are a 40-year-old man, yeah. is that what attracts you about doing a show about the teen years? Well, I think it's like, you know, as someone who's now – I, 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 this is a side note. I find the term "who had" I have therapy, who has therapy. I find that a very wor- weird sure. terminology. But as someone who's who's been in therapy now for you know uh, 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 over a decade, um, and ha- is still talking about like the thing, the decisions and things that I'm doing today as a 40 year old man are like deeply affected by the things that I was doing or happened to me as a 13 year old boy that I think like it's so present in our lives that puberty and middle school is forming so many of the patterns and foundations for our behavior for the rest of our lives. And I think we're spending the rest of our lives trying to either embrace or correct those things. And so – and I think shame is something that really takes hold around puberty because all of a sudden you're having these sexual desires. And, you know, shame isn't all bad. Shame – I think took hold as a way for societies to stop people from doing terrible things to other people. Then it becomes too prevalent in certain people's lives and takes over in a way that is unhealthy. And I think shame affects different kids in different ways. For Andrew, it's sexual stuff. For Nick, he got, I got, he, he, I (laughs) got pants in seventh grade and I was fully exposed to the girl that I had a crush on throughout my childhood. Which, no, it is happens in the scene right before the scene. Yes, her. yes, and it it is something that um, that happened to me and had like a profound effect on me for the rest of my life in various ways, and and I think we we're all kind of dealing with it. You can reach out to Jesse David Fox at J E S S E D A V I D F O X on Twitter. Vulture can be reached at V U L T U R E. Nick Kroll at N I C K K R O L L. And the show at Good One Podcast, G-O-O-D-O-N-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. You can also listen to them on Spotify, iTunes, Art19, Stitcher, and I found them on Laughable after searching Nick Kroll. The show's website is listed as headgum.com, that is H-E-A-D-G-U-M dot C-O-M, forward slash good hyphen one hyphen a hyphen podcast hyphen about hyphen jokes and that is the word one not the numeral one all right and rounding out the show is our final burst of durst for the episode from october 19th 2018 hugging despots in which our intrepid correspondent rants and raves about foreign entanglements and beheadings hey guys 
Will Durst here with a few choice words about Donald Trump's love of dictators. It is tremendous. It is amazing. It is huge. For some unfathomable reason, he really enjoys hugging tyrannical despots. Kim Jong-un, Vladimir Putin, Kanye West... Responding to the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, the president said his good buddy Mohammed bin Salman assured him that Saudi Arabia had nothing to do with the Washington Post writer's disappearance. Not only did the crown prince deny any involvement, it was a forceful denial. So it must be true. The president then offered an opinion that the columnist might have been slain by rogue killers. Yeah, sure, sure, that's it. Or maybe he was consumed by spontaneous combustion or, or struck by an asteroid. Or, no, it was, it was the one-armed man, yeah. Or maybe he got stuck in a cave like that Thai soccer team. Flesh-eating bacteria. Could have been a 400-pound fat guy on a couch. Can't wait for the president's next rationalization that when it comes to investigative journalists and rogue killers, there's good people on both sides. The Saudis seem ready to admit responsibility, but now they claim they didn't mean to kill him. They were just torturing him when something went awry. Not their fault. Could have happened to any murderous regime. Turkish officials say they have evidence that a Saudi hit team dismembered and beheaded Khashoggi during his interrogation, which you might think would hinder the guy's ability to provide precise answers to their queries. Trump refuses to even consider slapping sanctions on the Saudis because people are innocent until proven guilty. This guy sees only what he wants to see. He's not just myopic. He's an ostrich, constantly burying his head in the sand. In this case, extremely oil-rich Saudi sand. For Succotash, the comedy soundcast, soundcast, I'm Will Durst. Go to www.willdurst.com for the Will Durst Journal, otherwise known as comedy for people who read or know someone who does. You can also reach out to Will Durst on Twitter at W-I-L-L-D-U-R-S-T. And with that, we bring this late October edition of Succotash, the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast to a close. I appreciate your taking the time to listen. I hope you've enjoyed the selection of Comedy Soundcast clips, and that perhaps you'll choose to listen to us again and or seek out the full episodes of any or all the soundcasts sampled here. Perhaps me from the future has some idea of those things, because me from the present has absolutely no idea. So until next time, be decent to each other, happy Halloween, get out and vote for pity's sake, and if you wouldn't mind doing us a solid, could I possibly ask me, gently implore you to please pass the Succotash. You've been listening to Succotash Clips, the comedy soundcast soundcast with your host, Tyson Saner. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, on SoundCloud, on YouTube, on Donder, on Blitzen, on iHeartRadio, and on... <laughs> a laughable app. You can hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Show. Email us at... Tyson 
Saner at SuccotashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our toll call number, 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us by using our direct upload link at Hightail.com slash you slash Suckatash. Production of Suckatash is overseen by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, hosted by Tyson Saner. Our executive producer is Mark Hershon. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Suckatash. Goodbye. Goodbye.